I could go home right now. Amazing. Just, just amazing. So many thoughts running through my mind. Um, even before we get uh, to the text and to my comments uh, on them, one is I'm just curious if you noticed that um, there are no hangings here on the lectern, on the pulpit. And if you did notice, or if you didn't notice, but now you notice, why that might be. I mean, you could presume that perhaps we forgot, um, but that's not the reason. It's Good Friday. And in a sense, the church has always viewed Good Friday and the days that followed up until Easter as a time when the church would be as bare as possible to reflect the fact that Christ was dead, that he was in the grave. So all that we do, all of the symbolism that we have and that we use is to point us to the truth of the story in which we find ourselves, this gospel story, the greatest story ever told. I was just uh, thinking about that meditation song, Not Guilty Anymore, that we just sang. Do you know why? Do you know the answer, the reason why we are uh, no longer guilty, no longer filthy, no longer broken, no longer captive? Why we are spotless, holy, faultless, whole, righteous, and blameless? because of Good Friday. That's why. So these songs, these words are chosen carefully to reflect, in this case, the solemnity of this day, which is Good Friday, but it's Bad Friday too. It's the worst Friday ever in history, while at the same time being the best Friday of all history. And in that lies the complexity and the beauty of the gospel itself. It can be both at the same time. Well, the importance of the Holy Week is... Um, Amazing in terms of it leading us on this journey with Christ to Easter, to resurrection. It started last week with Palm Sunday. And then we move along this week with Jesus toward the culmination of that part of the redemption story. His redeeming us through his death and his resurrection. I was encouraged a couple of years ago during Holy Week, reading and meditating on some of the characters that surround this story that, that we're living in right now, this moment, this afternoon. And um, so I wanted to share that with you and add my thoughts to that as well. I was listening to Marquise Laughlin last night and thinking, what I want us to experience this afternoon is, in a sense, a continuation of what Marquise did last night. 
Now, I don't have the voice that he has or the voice that Ken McCurd has. But the beauty of it is it's not the voice that matters. It's the words that matter. And not my words, but God's word. And so what I want to do this afternoon in our time together is uh, to provide the text for you. So um, we're going to be primarily in Luke chapter 23 and one passage in John's gospel chapter 19. Now, as good Presbyterians, I know you want to turn there and you want to read right along with me, but I just want to encourage you. And, and it's okay if you want to read, but what I, what I want you to What I want you to do more than anything else is to experience it. Not just read it, but if you were here last night or you watched it online, to experience the words and what's going on in this story. So I'll provide the text, read it, give you a few thoughts on it, and then I want you to take just a minute or two to think about it and to reflect on it, to meditate on it. Because that, in a sense, is what Good Friday is about. To reflect on the cost of the freedom God has given you in the death of his son and in raising him from the dead. Experience the moment is what I hope you will do. Our first text is Luke chapter 23, verses 13 to 25. And I want to reflect in this passage on Pilate. So think about it as you hear the text read. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice, They cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, He spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with a loud shout, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their 
will. As I said, the journey with Christ began on Passover Sunday last week. And now we're walking along this road with Jesus. And we find Jesus in this passage surrounded by power. Not just any power, Roman power. Surrounded by Pontius Pilate, the most powerful person in Jerusalem. And Pilate, though, finds himself in a tough place. He finds no guilt in this man, Jesus. He really has no dog in this fight. He does not see any basis to convict him of the charges leveled against him by the Jewish authorities. And yet, here we are. Even Herod finds no reason to kill Jesus. All Herod wanted to do was to see him, to see if he would do a miracle, because that's who Herod was. He wanted to see. Pilate asked the crowd three times for a reason this innocent man should die. Three times. And if we're listening closely... Three will resonate with us, will it not? Because just a few hours before this event, there's another three, the three times that Peter will deny Jesus. Now, Pilate doesn't know that, obviously, but Luke does, and now we do. And Luke wants us to reflect, to meditate on that, to think about it. Pilate asks the crowd, but they have no answer. He wants to know why. Now, in Mark's account, Pilate condemns Jesus in order to satisfy the crowd. Now, that's a clue for us of the character of Pilate. He doesn't really care except that he wants to satisfy the crowd. John, if Pilate lets Jesus go... Also, John says, then he is no friend of Caesar's. You may have heard that last night. You are no friend of Caesar if you let Jesus go, the crowd says. But in both Matthew and Luke, there is no answer. And what we see in Pilate is a man with no integrity, no truth, and no justice. What kind of leader is that? For Pilate, the loudest voice wins. You, you know the saying, the squeaky wheel gets the attention, right? And that was true for Pilate. I mean, he doesn't want to risk a rebellion. I mean, he has to answer to Rome. So he literally washes his hands of the whole event, and he's done. He takes the easy way out. Confronted by crucify him, this apparently all-powerful Pilate acts powerlessness. He doesn't really have power. 
Would we, you and I, would we wash our hands and do the same? Or will we choose, like Jesus, to quietly act with love and with truth, no matter what the cost may be to us? That's our first meditation. Take a moment and think about that. Our second reflection is the passage immediately following this one, beginning in verse 26. It's the story of Simon of Cyrene. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then... They will say to the mountains, fall on us, and the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Who is this Simon of Cyrene? You read in the text uh, just a few sentences about him. There's not a lot of attention given to him. The gospel tells us nothing of his reaction. I mean, what would happen to you if you just happened to be coming in Jerusalem that day for Passover feast and you're just walking by and all of a sudden Roman garrison grabs you and says, carry this cross, puts it on your back. What would be your reaction? How would you feel about that? You don't know this man, Jesus. You don't know what he's done. Was he frightened? Was he resentful? Was he in pain? Did he understand what was happening? Was he simply caught up in events? We do know he was from Cyrene. Cyrene is in North Africa, what would today be Libya. There, were, there was a large contingent of Jews in that area at that time. He could have been traveling to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover, or he could have just been coming to Jerusalem and to the land of Israel to live because he wanted to be back in his homeland. We don't know. But here's the question. How do we know this man's name was Simon? How do we know where he came from? Well, Mark helps us out. He tells his readers that Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Known to Mark and presumably known to the readers of the gospel in Rome, 
The obvious answer is that at some point, Simon came to know who Jesus was. He certainly didn't know who he was prior to getting there, but at some point he comes to know, and if you had to carry that cross for this man, you would probably want to know something about him. It's widely known and suspected that Simon eventually became a follower of Jesus. This man, at this time, the text says, comes in from the country to Jerusalem. Now, that's an important phrase. Comes in from the country. Little knowing God's plans for him, and that might be some of your story, right? Not really knowing God's plan for you. You're just showing up. You're just doing what you're supposed to be doing, and then God meets you in that and changes you forever like he did Simon. Perhaps Simon felt some special relationship with the words of Jesus that everyone must take up their cross if they're going to follow him. There is a cost to following Jesus. And here's the thought from Simon, who comes in from the country to Jerusalem and meets Jesus. People around the world are still coming in and finding Jesus. They're still coming and they're still finding him. They're still discovering what it means to take up their cross and to follow him. You think about that. Our third reflection is in verses 33 to 37. It's about the soldiers in the crowd. Let's read that text. When they came to the place called a skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Jesus had already been beaten, had already been humiliated, and the last vestiges of his dignity were being removed here. The crowd's hands snatch and tear off his clothes. Oblivious to his suffering, the soldiers play dice for his tunic. But if you're listening carefully, you recall that hmm, prophecy 
is being fulfilled. Jesus doesn't resist. He lets these hands do their humiliating work to him. And he says nothing. Except, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Who can do that? Who can say that and mean it at a time like that? These hands, the soldiers' hands, the crowd's hands, these are our hands. The hands that have stripped others of all humanity just so we could go along with the crowd. They have taunted others instead of building them up, and they have humiliated rather than affirmed. Lord, we repent of the times we've been part of the crowd, humiliating you or our fellow brothers and sisters when we've taken what we did not need and deprived others of what should be theirs, when we have doubted your promises. Father, forgive us. You think about that. Our next reflection is on the good thief on the cross. Luke 23, 39 to 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So many have found comfort from that passage. There's something about this exchange between Jesus and this second criminal that speaks of the depth of the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. But what was so remarkable about what this second criminal said? Well, we need to go back to the beginning of Luke. When Jesus was presented in the temple and taken into Simeon's arms, Simeon proclaimed that he would be this, a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Hmm. Interesting. In other words, who Jesus was in his being in his teaching, and then the whole of his ministry 
would lift the veil on what people really thought and who they really were and expose them. You see that over and over again in the New Testament, this idea of light and darkness, that the gospel exposes the light. And that's what Jesus does. He exposes that in us. That's what the first criminal could not deal with. And so he hurls insults at Jesus. He couldn't face the reality of what was revealed. And so he mocks him. The second criminal, though, takes personal responsibility for his actions. And in doing so, he accepted who he really was and he accepted who Jesus was. Our good friend, John Calvin, said at the beginning of the Institutes, the two most important things are knowledge about God and knowledge about self in that order. That's what this story is telling us. Know who God is and know who you are because God will reveal that to you if you know who he is. It remains true today. Our encounters with Jesus reveal who we really are. The question is whether we can accept what is revealed or not. You think about that. The relationship between a mother and her son, Mary. This passage is in John chapter 19, verses 25, 26, and 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Mary was a strong woman. To watch her son be humiliated and killed on the cross. She had an inner strength that God no doubt had given her as the mother of the Son of God. Think about these prophetic words that Simeon also spoke to Mary. And a sword will pierce your own side 
also. So the soldiers, they pierced Jesus' side, but her side is pierced emotionally as she watches her son die. Don't you imagine that she remembered those prophetic words and perhaps while grieving an unspeakable loss remembers and recalls ponders those things in her heart. An emotional sword thrust deep into her heart. It's what Mary experienced. And then Jesus, even in the agony and the pain and the suffering that he experiences, shows compassion on others on his mom. John, this is your mom. In other words, you take care of my mom. And mom, John's got this. He's going to take care of you. And he did, the scriptures say. He sees her suffering Just as he sees our suffering, he meets Mary where she is and he meets us in the depths of our pain. Why? To bring us healing, love, and comfort. That's always his aim. You think about that. Our last reflection is on the cross, Luke 23, beginning in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole earth until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. He ends this three hours of agony with those words. John records these words, which again you heard last night. It is finished. Luke, into your hands I commit my spirit. At that point, the curtain of the temple, a large, massively large tapestry is split in two. It is finished. Pilate thought that it was finished, that the death of Jesus, this 
so-called king of the Jews would be over, the rebellion would be the extinction, and everything would go back to normal. So for Pilate, it is finished. The disciples thought that Rome had won. Jesus was dead. What good is a dead Messiah? A dead Messiah is no Messiah at all. So for the disciples, yes, it is finished. And indeed it is finished. Scripture has been fulfilled. Sin and death have been defeated. Redemption has been completed. Reconciliation has been achieved. But notice that Jesus did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. God still had more in store for Jesus in three days' time, yes. But on this day, by his death on the cross, Jesus had finished more than just his earthly life. He had finished the work he had been called to do. For Jesus, the price had been paid, the ransom given, the victory achieved, sins forgiven, wounds healed. For Jesus, it is finished. But it's not the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that it is finished and yet it is not over. Friday's here. But Sunday is coming. But in this day, in this moment, in this time, Lord, would you stir our hearts through the agony, the pain, the suffering of this Good Friday, these three hours from noon to three, that our dear Savior suffered for us. We thank you for giving him to us as our Savior and as our Lord. And we ask it in his name. Amen.